Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York. And Boca Raton, Florida. It's the Freight 360 Podcast. From freight broker sales tips to sports talk, this podcast is all about helping you grow as a freight broker. We're your hosts, Nate Cross. And Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight. Yes, we're going to talk a lot today. Some freight, some sports, some news, some Q&A. we got a packed, full episode, Ben. How's the... Uh, How's the fundraiser going? I know you got your Ukraine shirt on, and I see a Ukraine T-shirt in the background there as well. Yeah, progress. Um, I think we've raised upwards of two grand over probably in the past seven to ten days since like Monday of last week. So that's been super helpful. Um, there's just a lot more people, obviously, yeah. um, from all over the country being displaced. I mean, even you know my sister-in-law and brother-in-law that are over there. Most of Odessa is now evacuating and moving to some of the rural areas, so it's putting a lot of pressure on just oh everywhere. I mean, you think about if everybody in a state the size of Texas all just had to move away from their jobs and then find ways to still feed and do everything else you do in a normal day-to-day life, it's putting a lot of pressure on yeah, everything over there. That's crazy. But some good news, I know that uh, the Ukrainian forces have taken back some por- some portions of Kiev and they expect to take back a few other smaller cities over the next week. Um, so there's been some positive news in there. I mean, even though Russia had stepped up and used uh, the uh, some of the, what are they called? Are they called munitions when they're missiles? Or is that just? Munitions is just like a, uh, another word for any kind of weapon. Like yeah, so the fact that they were using the that are munitions. ultrasonic missiles, everyone couldn't kind of figure out why. And it seems the consensus is that Russia is just running out of munitions um, as well as soldiers. And increasing, hopefully, sanctioned pressures will make this come to a head at some point, hopefully sooner rather than later. Let's hope so. And I know I've, we've had a few people reach out um, where you can learn more about the, the uh, fundraiser and the GoFundMe that... Ben got started just check out if you're on YouTube check out the description box there's a link for it and if you're listening on a podcast version just check check the episode notes or the show notes section it is the top link right in there it'll take you right to a GoFundMe page so we appreciate everyone's support on that all right so welcome back episode 133 and we're we're, like I, we always say this, we're growing, right? Subscribers are going up, downloads are going up, questions are flooding in, we can't get to all of them. Um, but we do our best and we appreciate everyone listening and, and uh, sharing your feedback. So make sure to hit the five stars and um, you know leave that review and share us with your friends. So uh, I've got a quick little sports thing here. The Buffalo Bills signed Von Miller. Massive six year contract. Did you see that? No, I caught some of what was going on leading up to the draft, but it was mostly quarterback Dude, stuff. Dude, the, that I, the I Bills have a stacked team now. They got OJ Howard from Tampa as a as a pretty solid tight end, and and Von Miller on the D uh, on the defensive side now. Von Miller played a year with the Rams, got a ring. He played with Denver for a handful of years before that, and got a ring. So he's looking for number three here in Western New York now. We're ha- super happy to have him. Very expensive six-year contract with no no exit option after uh, you know a year. Or so um, we're all in. Um, I was talking to someone the other day, and they're like, just talking about the teams and quarterbacks and all that, and basically said like, the dude was saying if you know if I were to start my own team, um, I would take uh, you know I would take Josh Allen over 
over anybody else. You know what I mean? It's not. It's not even like uh, Pat Mahomes was even in the question as the, as the as a top ranked quarterback. But that, again, that's coming from a, a guy in Buffalo. So super excited though. The the team is stacked. It's it's going to be a really exciting year. Um, every Bills fan right now, when you have a zero and zero record, everyone's just excited. That's how every team is though. Whether you're Pittsburgh or Buffalo yeah. or anybody, we all got a fresh clean slate. The draft's coming up in the next month or two and Steelers aren't looking great. I mean, no. <laughs> you know, basically a franchise quarterback leaving, no real prospects, and we're twentieth in the draft, and I don't think they're trading up to get anybody. Maybe but. a couple of years of rebuild. You never know. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um Deshaun Watson to Cleveland. Uh Baker Mayfield requested a trade and got denied on that one. Um a lot of stuff just happening around the league. I think it was uh Julian Edelman was was practicing with Brady the other day after he unretired. Just so much weird stuff is happening. So look forward to see how the uh, the rest of the offseason pans out and, you know, trades, free agent signings, drafts, all that stuff. So uh, that's, that's sports. March Madness going on. The... Uh, so in the Buffalo area, we have a college, St. Bonaventure. It's down in the southern tier of Western New York. Uh, they made it to the Final Four. I believe I heard that earlier today. So that's pretty cool. Local that's local awesome. team here representing. But, uh, yeah. So on the news side, you brought this up to me, Ben, the Teamsters. So what do you got here? What did you hear? And if, you, if you don't know who the Teamsters are, it's the largest union in the trucking industry. Um, is it Jimmy Hoffa? The original, actually, yeah, and his and son. Fact, the guy who's, yeah, so the guy who's actually taking the exact same position as Hoffa, um, guy's last name's O'Brien, um, in the Teamsters, and he, I think, I think he literally just got like, um, he like won, or I don't really even know how. I'm, I'm pretty sure they vote those people in, but the article I picked up is as he was basically coming into office, is that like. He intends to not necessarily pick a fight, but go directly at UPS to leverage, you know, some pay increases for, I think it was like 370,000 employees. Like, obviously, yeah. you know, when Jimmy Hoffa was there in the 60s, they had sway over the entire trucking industry just because of the way it was set up then. Now, like their largest impact is with UPS with over, I think it was like 370,000 some employees. Amazon was on there too, I saw. Yeah. And just UPS alone is responsible for something like 2% of our GDP, like just moving it. So a strike would have massive implications on our industry, let alone just the economy. And it looks like, I mean, again, their contract I don't think is up until like June or July, somewhere around there, but they're gonna start negotiating obviously well and you know well ahead of that. Yeah, and you could look at this from all different angles. Because um, when you first told me, I was like, pay your drivers more like and then i'm like well again this is the union going to them but like you know rates have been up these trucking companies are making more money and i you know i think as, as an ethical business practice you should be sharing some of that growth with the team members that help you get to where you are right at the end of the day it's a business and a business is, is there to to make profits um but uh yeah, there's a lot of there's obviously always debate with unions. Um, I've never I've never worked for a a, tr a transportation company that was unionized. Um, I've I've definitely I know many people that have, and it was frustrating. Whether you're like an operations supervisor on the dock and you've got a truck driver that's in the union, but you're not, and then you can't really tell them what to do or fire them because then they get their job back. 
you know, two weeks later and it becomes, hey, I, I, they got paid vacation. This isn't about that. This is about their wages because I think it, I think the article I read said like, they're trying to push for like a $20, $20 wage minimum for $20 an hour wage oh, minimum Brian, for their drivers. Um, yeah, it says pushing for a big bump in part-timers pay, which under the last contract was initially 13 an hour and scaled to 15 an hour in 2021. He said it's got to be $20 an hour. No one can survive on 15 an hour. And to the Amazon, I don't believe they're affiliated. It says O'Brien wants the Teamsters to be the only union that organizes workers at Amazon's fulfillment centers and sorting hubs. Okay. As well as drivers. But it does say right now... I guess an affiliate, the United Food and Commercial Workers, has been battling the company to create a union presence at their Bessemer, Alabama facility and some in their Staten Island warehouse, but it doesn't look like anyone has succeeded in unionizing anybody at Amazon yet. Speaking of unions, um, we had in Buffalo, we had some Starbucks locations that unionized recently. I don't know if you saw that. Really? Apparently it made like national news. Hmm. So doesn't surprise me. <laughs> so I saw a post on LinkedIn today made me laugh. One of the guys we know in the industry posted a picture at Starbucks. He goes, people are complaining about $5 a gallon gas, but yet there's a line to the park, line through the parking lot for $7 cups of coffee. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Go figure. Priorities. Yep. So, hey, there's your, there's your sports and your news update. Um, so we got a good topic today. It's going to be all about the optimal way to prospect. But first, let's give a uh, shout out to our friends over at DAT. Taking the guesswork out of freight with DAT. The DAT Load Board Network is the largest on-demand freight marketplace in North America, connecting freight brokers with available capacity on any lane. Grow your business with tools that allow you to find new business partners, and you can quickly qualify and onboard new carriers. With the industry's leading freight rate data, you can make clear and confident pricing decisions. Check out the show notes for a free month of Power, Express, or Trucker's Edge. Help support your friends over at Freight360 if you don't already have DAT. Yeah, and one of the things too is um, if, anybody, if anybody just wants to learn about the different products that they have, so if you're starting a new brokerage and you're you wanted help with like the rating part or the load board usage, um, even like your carrier onboarding or their TMS, they'll do, they'll give you pretty in-depth demos. We've seen just about every product they have and um, there's a lot of software and technology out there these days and we always, we always recommend check a bunch of it out. Don't overwhelm yourself, but give yourself options and take your time, you know, be patient, look through everything and then make the right choice for you. Okay, so today's topic, the optimal way to prospect, right? So this is, I thought, I thought of this as a good topic the other day because one of the biggest topics or questions that we get from folks through our channel is, how do I get new customers? How do I find shippers? What should I be doing? What should I be saying on the phone when I call these people? How should I be, you know, how often should I be following up? Should I use email? Should I use phone? Um, everybody wants the golden ticket, right? They all want the the quick take this pill and make it all better, right? And the reality of that situation is um, optimal is a very subjective phrase. And at the end of the day, optimal for me is not the same as optimal for Ben is not the same as what's optimal for you. Okay, and I think um, that is the overarching theme that we wanted to discuss here today is, you know, you could do, this could be anything, right? Whether it's 
getting better at being a freight broker, whether it's getting stronger at the gym, whether it's losing weight, whether it is being a better parent or spouse or friend, whatever it is, right? Everyone, you, you could surf the web and watch everyone's videos and get their advice and read all these blogs and articles. That is someone else's experience, right? And someone else's opinion and advice. Um, at the end of the day, you have to find what works for you. So your optimal when it comes to building your book of business and prospecting is gonna be unique to you. So I wanna ask you this, Ben. You have, uh, we both have, but you, you came from a big box brokerage where you were surrounded by massive teams, right? And coaching, right? You've worked with a handful of, mm -hmm. of clients throughout the years. Um, it's probably obvious that you notice each person has a different personality, right? They have different strengths and weaknesses. Um, have you found that, um, have you ever found yourself in the trap of trying to tell them, hey, do it exactly how I do it, when in reality you have to put yourself in their shoes? So to be honest, and it's funny you said that, like one of the main reasons why the way we approach coaching the way we do and not that other way is specifically from that. Um, like teaching and telling somebody that they should do it a certain way, I feel like is the most ineffective way to do it at all, for a bunch of reasons. One, everybody's style is a little different. Everybody's approach is a little different. Everybody's voice is a little different, right? So one, my approach just put on somebody else is never gonna work. My verbiage, and that's also why we don't use scripts, right? Yep. Like, we give you questions, we give you approaches, we give you the structure, what you're trying to achieve, so that you can find your own way to navigate through the path that we've kinda laid out, right? But again, nobody's gonna be able to walk in the exact same footsteps. The second thing is, to your point, like, if I just talk at somebody, it's about as effective as talking at a three-year-old or a four-year-old and getting them to follow what you ask them to do, right? <laughs> it doesn't work, right? Like yeah. ever. It doesn't It doesn't resonate, it doesn't help them learn. Like maybe for a moment they'll get a light bulb, but they're, what are they gonna do? They're gonna go right back to the way they were doing it before, right? And they're gonna hit the same hurdles and the same stumbles. Yep, you're absolutely right. So one of the things I wrote down here is, uh, and to preface this, we can't give you a script and we can't tell you exactly what to do, but we can give you some um, some mindset guidelines and tips and these are fairly universal, right? So it doesn't matter how new you are in the industry or how seasoned you are or how confident you are or you know how much sales experience you have, right? These are pretty fundamental uh, mindset uh, things here, okay? so. What I wrote down here is that progress is better than perfection. So everyone's like, hey, what's the perfect script? What's the perfect cold call? You know, what's the perfect customer, right? And we t we've talked about the the ideal customer, but um, mm -hmm. so say, think about that. Progress is better than perfection, right? So when you are, um, when you're a brand new freight broker, and I think one of the reasons that a lot of people get into this industry and they fail is because they don't reach what they consider perfection within a couple of weeks. And they're like, it's not for me. And it's like, well, you, you, have mm -hmm. to, you have to measure yourself from day one and see, are you making progress? Are you getting a little bit better each and every time you pick up the phone, right? And by the way, you have to pick up the phone to get better at making those calls, right? So you've got to put the activity in. But that progress part, those small little wins, that's going to give you that, that feel good, that motivation to, hey, you know, look at where I was two weeks ago and look where I am now. It's, it's leaps and bounds. It's not perfect yet. Right. Like, for example, I saw a guy posted on LinkedIn. I think it was yesterday. It was a global trans rep. He recorded himself making a cold call and he did it like video and audio and he threw it up there. And he basically said, like, um, you know, it was this is a choppy cold call. But, hey, it's it's not perfect. But, 
you know, at least at least I'm doing it and whatever. He got a guy on the phone and, you know, he went through his whole spiel for about 10 minutes. Um, but to be able to, to talk about the little wins and the progress that you make, that's going to give you the little bit of motivation that you need to stick with it. And it's all about that continuous improvement. You're not going to be perfect overnight. And you may never be perfect. I don't think anyone's ever going to be perfect. No, at Oakland. We're all human. We're all going to make mistakes. So... So here's the one the one liner that comes to mind is perfection is the enemy of done or complete, right? Like in fact there's another guy in, you know, the personal development space that talks a lot about this and he goes through an example in his book about how he took his son through an Eagle Scout project and they wanted to do all this stuff for it. They're going to do these graphs and bar graphs and all these things. It's going to be better than anybody in the state. They have this great vision for what it's going to look like. But what happens is, is like trying to do all those things, they like literally never got it done. So his takeaway and what he now teaches in part of like, you know, his premise is get to done first and then work to improve from there, right? Because it's also way less stressful. Like what is the minimum amount of things you need to complete this project? Once you get to complete, it's a lot less stressful to improve on it from there. When you try to make it perfect out of the gate, there's so much internal pressure that you're putting on yourself that it makes it very difficult to even get to complete, right? Yep. Which is the second thing, right? Like you don't need to know everything. In fact, the biggest issue I had in this industry was I tried to visualize everything that was gonna go wrong with every customer and every shipment and every lane to try to predict and then try to prevent. But guess what? None of our industry revolves around that. In fact, my mentor and the guy who taught me the most early on in my career sat me down and he goes, Ben, you'll never be able to predict what's going wrong. The skill in this job, you're not trying to sharpen your ability to predict the future. What you're trying to sharpen is your confidence and your ability to problem solve once the problem arises. Once you have the confidence that you will be able to find that solution, whatever that may be, to a problem you are completely unaware of right now, that's the skill you're developing, not the ability to predict it. Yep. So uh, that's critical thinking and problem solving. And it's something that um, in the Army, I learned this and it's, it's kind of drilled into our head as leaders in the Army is um, if you don't know the answer to something, don't shy away from it and don't try to BS your way through it. Be honest. And you could say something like, I don't have that information right now, but I will find out and I'll get back to you. And you can you can use that mindset Huge. and you can shift that to sales. Right. But that's so big in prospecting because I know so many new brokers that we talk about this on our group sessions, my one on one sessions they are like, well, what if they ask me something I don't know? Right. And same thing. When I started in a bank, my first job, the guy who I mentored underneath me, he goes, Ben, you're never going to know the answers to all the questions. And this is a guy that was like in his late 60s, like should have retired. You know, he's got 50 years or something, you know, in the industry. And he goes, Ben, you never need to know the answers. I'm going to give you the one phrase you need. And this is all you need to get out of all of them. Right. This is all you need. And it's exactly what you said. When somebody asks you and you don't know, own up to it. Hey, that's a new one for me. But I'll tell you what, what I don't want to do is to mislead you or give you the wrong information. Give me five, give me 15, whatever that time frame is you throw out there and just assure them you will come back with that answer. You don't need to know it. Nobody expects you to know everything. So I want to go back to what you said about being done versus being perfect, right? So think about, say there's two brokers, right? Or let's just say it's me and you, right? Nate and Ben. So me, let's say that, um, my goal is I want to find a hundred perfect leads and I want to, I want to have perfect calls with them and I want to close all hundred, right? So I spend all my time, 
trying sifting through the internet, trying to trying to find every bit of information possible that I can find, um, and that's how I spend my entire week. And then mm-hmm. there's you, right? And what you do is you get ten shippers, ten phone numbers, and you make ten calls, and you stumble on your face on all ten of them at the end of the week. What's the difference? I have more leads than you, but guess what? You actually completed the task of prospecting and making those cold calls, and I didn't do any of them, right? I'll give you a second quote on that same on that same point, right? Tim Ferriss repeated this, and it's something I listened to the other day. He goes, if information was the answer, was the key to success, would all be billionaires with six-pack abs? It's not. <laughs> information isn't gonna get you rich, isn't gonna get you in shape. You know what is, though? action. Yep. And that's the biggest difference between your example, right? One spent all their time trying to learn their way to profitability. The other one did the thing that's scarier, the thing that everybody feels resistance in, myself included. I've been doing it for 20 years. I still feel that when I go to pick up the phone. But guess what? Like I've developed the habit so that I can at least pick up the phone once because it literally is downhill from there. The biggest resistance is getting the energy and getting the motivation to pick up the phone the first time because it's never as bad as we make it out to be to ourselves. You're absolutely correct. So I also had a, I had a quote in here. I know you're the you're the quote guy, or I forget what I call him, the um, Proverbs guy or whatever, right? But this is a quote from Confucius. Um, it's The quote is, better a diamond with a flaw than a pebble without, right? Because the diamond obviously is, a, is better quality even if it's not perfect, but a pebble is obviously very low quality. And the way that I translated this to freight was um, to, to start off with the right mentality, right? So um, like don't try to take the easy way out and don't just try to look for the load list and you know, that jump ball freight and everything that you're just gonna be stuck spinning your wheels. Yeah, you might make, you might cover a couple lanes and make 50 bucks here and there, but if you spend your time and energy and, and you really focus on your problem solving abilities and you strive to find customers that you can truly add value to, right? Those, those real opportunities that we talked about last week, those are your diamonds, even if they're not perfect. And even if you run into issues and you're still learning as you go throughout the, the um, building your book of business process, or even if you don't get loads to move for them right away, right? At least you're spending your time and energy on the right customers and the right, um, you know, the right type of freight to work on. Yes, there's gonna be times when you're gonna be working with some pebbles and some stones, and that that's gonna be part of your, that, that backpack you carry around of prospects and of customers, but ideally you wanna start off with the right mindset, and that is to look at the, the customers that are, that are right for you and that you can truly add value to. So the- I wanna uh, give you some more on that too, to that point, because I think you brought up a lot of stuff. So one of the things that I learned working at a big box brokerage was we were always the most expensive. Um, that That was the con, right? Like we had to charge a lot of money to be able to take home money because the company had a lot of overhead, right? Lots of resources, lots of name recognition, But again, I was always gonna be the most expensive. So you have this hurdle you have to get over with everybody. But what that taught me, to your point, it's the opportunity cost, right? Okay, so if I'm spending a lot of time researching and or even trying to cover a load to make an extra 50 bucks for an extra two or three hours, right? Where was my opportunity cost? The opportunity cost is always the same in that environment. It's you always need to optimize to have more action, to get in front of more people, to increase the likelihood you find the right fit customer. And that's the customer that 
we talk about all the time, right? Has high priority stuff, willing to pay a margin because there's a high cost if it doesn't get there. There's a large pain if the customer doesn't receive it, all of these things, right? You're always optimizing to try to create more opportunities to play at that poker table, right? And every time you're sitting at another one for an extra half an hour, 20 minutes, like you said, to find a diamond, you've got to find a lot of pebbles first, whether you're sifting through it, whether you're doing literally traditional prospecting or, you know, in our analogy. But the reality is, is like you want to keep minimizing the time you're spending doing those so that you can get to the things that are really a good fit for you. Yeah, absolutely. So and I had another note in here was kind of to that quote was challenge continue to challenge yourself to get better and to have the more ideal customer instead of getting too comfortable working on those same load lists, hiding behind email, just shooting off quotes via email, get on the phone, build relationships. You're gonna fail a ton when you're brand new as a broker. So be where you are and be open-minded, right? When you're brand new, you don't know everything. And it can be difficult, especially if you work in an office setting where you might have somebody that you can hear on the phone and you're like, man, she's so good or he's so good and how did I get that customer? I'm just gonna say what they say. Well, no, be where you are and own that that you know that part of your process of, of growing as a freight broker, right? You're not an expert yet. You're not even very good yet. So you need to go through that whole process of making mistakes and saying stupid stuff on the phone and not having answers. That's all part of your growth. And if you don't learn that stuff yourself, you're never gonna retain that knowledge because you know it's always great to learn from others' mistakes so you don't make them yourself, but you can never just they absorb don't someone else's experience. You have to have your own right. experience. And it's funny, right? Like we talked about this I think last episode or in a recent episode, right? The difference between, you know, bidding for freight and then bidding freight to cover it, right? At first you go through the stage of you're competing to just try to get an opportunity, but then you realize you don't have enough money to actually get a truck on it, right? That's like the second stage. But the reality is, is you can't step, you can't skip the first one to get to the second one unless you go through the first because that's where you learn the context. That's where you genuinely learn what this actually means, right? And the same thing, like I've talked about this probably a dozen times, the time where like the guy I trained under didn't give me enough money and said, cover this load. That's all I want you to do for the next two days. I must've called 170 trucks in two days. And at the end of it, I was like, dude, nobody will take this. Like, what am I doing? And he went, it's okay. We'll go get money, more money from the shipper and we'll cover it in an hour. And I went, wait a minute. I spent like the past day and a half trying to cover a load for the wrong amount of money. Like, why did you make me do that? And he's like, cause you'll never forget that. And to this day, <laughs> yeah. like I still remember leaving work that day furious yep. because like that's what sticks. That's where our memories come from. We don't learn because we got on a bike and pedaled and it worked. We learned because when it we fell, it hurt, and we didn't do that again. And that's how we remembered. And you also don't learn how to ride a bike from watching a video of someone else riding a bike. Yes, So exactly. <laughs> yeah, and so I mean, the internet's a great thing and YouTube's a great thing. There's a lot of stuff out there. Um, but I mean, even all the content we have, right? Just by consuming it does n is not gonna make you a better freight broker, right? Yes, you'll have, you'll have a little bit more knowledge, but until you actually put that into a practical application and do some of this stuff, you're not gonna become better, you know, very much better at all and you're not gonna really grow. So the- I It's in tandem, right? 
like they have to be together. And yes. I think that's the point. That's why, and it, it's same thing, like even when I went through and I worked at Southwestern and I got certified as a coach, right? We went through all their content. I took all their tests, but guess what? None of it really meant anything to me. And so I started doing the job. And then you're like, oh, that fits here. And then you run into a problem. You're like, oh, that fits here. Like you don't have the context or the mental compartments to put the information in. That's why like we have group coaching with our course. That's why we do things the way we are because if you're not doing things along with what you're learning, like the, the lessons don't resonate, they don't stick, and they don't really help you avoid problems in the future anyway. Yep, you're absolutely right. So if I were to sum up the whole question of what is the optimal way to, optimal way to prospect, um, it depends on who you are and where you are in your situation, but action is going to be a, a key takeaway, right? You have to, you have to be, whether it's the actual activity of making the calls or picking up the phone or doing your research or following up, whatever. You have to be doing, not just researching and thinking, okay? Um, and the other thing too is to continuous or continuously refine what you're doing, right? Look at what's working and look at what's not working, right? Am I calling at the right time or am I always getting a voicemail? Am I calling the right person, right? Am I, am I prospecting a part of the market that I have no experience in? Do I enjoy the commodity that I'm prospecting, right? These are all things that you have to look back at and say, all right, what can I change? Because you're never gonna continue to do the same thing your entire career as a broker. You're going to shift and things are gonna change a little bit, and you should, right? Because your situation's gonna change, the size of your company is gonna change, a lot, there's a ton of variables. You need, you need to always be refining that and improving it. So optimal is a subjective thing. Don't think that just because you watched or heard somebody say this or that, that their way is the golden way. That's my big takeaway. What are your, what's your takeaway thought on this topic? The biggest thing is, I think what's important is we compare ourselves to our older selves or yesterday selves, right? Like we don't wanna be comparing ourselves to other people, how someone else is doing it, where they are. Everybody else has their own path, their own story and their own luck. And I mean, luck really is, you know, when, you know, opportunity, uh, literally I've just lost that one. Opportunity regardless. Preparation, right? Exactly. And no, ah, that's gonna bug You're me. You're gonna have to I Google it. it. Well, I'll give you my uh, thought while you look up the proper quote there, because um, you brought up a good point, right? You should you you should be comparing yourself to your younger self, not to others around you, right? So, you know, in brokerage, there's always going to be be another broker out there that's doing more in profit than you, or that has more customers than you, or that might that you think sounds better on the phone than you, or that ranked higher in sales than you did, right? There's always gonna be someone better. Just like in the gym, there's always a bigger buffer guy, okay? Definitely in my case, if you're looking at me on YouTube, I'm not a meathead, but uh, I still go to the gym on a regular basis and I see you know everyone else around me and I'm like, hey, that person is so strong. Oh wait, there's always gonna be someone bigger and stronger than me. There's always a faster runner than you. There's always a faster bicyclist than you, so. Just keep that in mind. So you're right. And by the way, it is when preparation meets opportunity, but yes. I don't even think that's a good one, to be honest. Like, I don't think it's preparation. I think it's like, it's action or activity meets opportunity because all well, the preparation in the world. A Kowalski. Yeah, because all the, well, all the preparation in the world doesn't do anything when opportunity comes along unless you're willing to act. Again, you can prep and have the best lead list in the world and have every, of the, every one of the shippers that are ideally fit for you. If no one picks up the phone, I guess you don't create the opportunity. The opportunity doesn't exist in the first place. So, so, I mean, I guess you could probably say if you take the action, that's what creates the opportunity, but regardless. I, mean, I think you just coined a new phrase. I think it's luck is when preparation and action and opportunity collide in a trifecta. Yeah. 
Because the reality is, is literally nothing is going to happen without it. Nothing. Absolutely. Good stuff. So hopefully you can take something away from that. Um, we got some good Q&A today. First, I got to give a shout out to our friends at Lean Solutions Group. Staffing's been a huge thing right now. And I thought about this yesterday. They always, you know, on the news, they'll talk about the great resignation. All these people are leaving their jobs and all these people are hiring and the unemployment rate. And I thought about it, I'm like, how is, you know, how are there so many available jobs right now? Like, how are we gonna possibly fill them? And then I realized, right, when someone takes a new job, they have to leave their old job and that creates another job opening. Mm-hmm. So, but either way, there is a, a you know, a, a huge hiring need right now and we only have so much in our market. So the, our, our friends over at Lean, they've done a great job with the near store shop, near shore staffing model, say that three times fast, where you can get quality trained logistics professionals to assist you in your brokerage. So they're, one of their biggest things is the back office. So whether it's administrative, maybe it's like a track and trace team, or it could be your billing department or whatever the case might be, but they are, they are there to help you find the right people with the right personality and culture already trained up in this industry to add people to your, to your team and for your team to grow successfully and not have a shortage. So check them out at leangroup.com and uh, they can take a look at your specific needs and see if there's a good opportunity there. So, all right. We have a, uh, a few questions here, and actually I have one that I didn't write down, but I'm gonna add it in. I'm actually gonna bring this one up first. Somebody, somebody asked on Facebook, the dude was trolling, right? There's a, a post about the, um, the content we put out there and the training material and whatnot, and some guy posted, um, how many people that go through this material actually become freight brokers? And I was like, oh, maybe, maybe he's serious. And then I like clicked on his profile and saw his act, his like activity in Facebook groups. He just trolls everybody, basically saying mm-hmm. like, "Oh, you guys, you guys have, you guys suck. Your your material is a scam. You know all that stuff, right?" And but I thought to myself, I was like, "What's a legitimate answer to this? If if someone goes through Freight Broker Basics, what percentage of them actually become brokers?" It's we we can't give a straight answer because here's the reason: there's people that take this course that they're already brokering. Right, and they're using it to yes. develop some of their new hires. So that person, do we count them as then starting a brokerage? No, because they're already bro- already brokering. Some people likely take it and they're like, "Yep, don't want to do that. I don't want to be on the phone for six months straight, cold calling." Um, you probably get some that apply for their authority and, and then never succeed. I, I don't know. There's not a there's not a good way to answer. It. I mean, it's probably in line with any other. Um, course or book out there, right? How many people read a, um, a self-help book and actually self-help themselves? I don't know. I think the, re- and I think the reality is, is if you ask a poor question, you get a poor answer. You ask a better question, you'll get a better answer. And a yeah. better question is, you know, does this course provide the value it advertises? Right. And yep. I would say to every one of those questions, yes. Right. Because there are people same way I've paid for courses. I paid for courses in a lot of industries to get insight. And guess what? To save myself the time of literally starting a business to find out six months later, it wasn't a fit. So I'll spend a thousand dollars. I've taken them and I went, okay, that's definitely not what I thought it was. I'm glad I spent, you know, the 40 or 60 hours, not the next four to six months, right? I did, So, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, I mean, to every one of your questions, you can kind of go through and go like, that's the reality, right? Like, we have a lot of people that use our course that are literally working in brokerages, right? They're working in specific departments and they wanna get a better understanding of other departments, how they would be able to coordinate better, right? So, I mean, the so, sole purpose of the course wasn't to get people 
to be able to open brokerages. Like, I mean. It's, it's putting the material out there that people are asking for. So I, I tried to put together a stat looking at the numbers and I looked at the amount of, the amount of students and I looked at the amount of refunds issued and the amount of, um, there's also like the, the scammers that like call their bank and say it was a fraudulent charge. And it, it was like 1%, maybe one and a half percent, but there's a handful in there. So like we, we've had a couple of people that they, um, you know, they were looking for something a little bit different and we happily said, hey, we'll, you know, we'll undo this for you, refund whatever you spent and, um, you know, sorry, it wasn't what you thought. Uh, we even had people that were curious about it and we said, hey, you know, why don't you hop in the, the group session that we do a couple times a month and um, check it out for free, right? Uh, obviously, there's we have costs associated with what we do. You and I both have have day jobs, but this is uh, this stuff takes up some of our time and obviously costs some money to, to prepare everything. So there's a cost to to get access to, to our content and material. Um, but it's a very low number of dissatisfied people, I'll say that. And the amount of people that I talk to on a daily basis. So obviously my day job at Pierce for Wild Logistics, I get hit up almost like twice a week now with people like, hey, you know, can I come work for your company? And they love it. They hear all these, you know, these great things. And a lot of them, they're not at the right phase in their career, but we've had a couple of really good folks join our team because they have found our content and our material and they, and they like the fit, right? And that's a, that's a happy person, right? But you're gonna always have, um, you're gonna always have someone that's like, ah, they're so negative all the time and this sucks and blah, 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 right? It just, it is what it is. So trolls will be trolls. Haters gonna hate, right? It, it says way more about them than it does about anybody else. <laughs> Disgruntled. Um, okay, so that was, I wanted to get that one out of the way. I didn't write yeah. it down, but wanted to address it. Okay, so um, here's a good question. And we've talked about this in other content, but this is coming from the other side. Someone said, how do I retain a customer's business if one of the brokers on my team leaves the company. So here's the context, right? Brokerage owner and one of their employees quits. And they're like, well, I wanna, I wanna retain all their customers. We've talked about how can you leave a brokerage and go somewhere else and move your customer with you. Uh, and now this is the company asking, how do I retain the business? It's a very, very tricky thing. And I'll be honest, straightforward. The customers, their loyalty goes to that individual for the most part. Not always, but for the most part. It's that person that's on the phone with them and in the trenches every single day. And it should be your job as, a, as an organization leader to have a culture and an atmosphere that you don't have to worry about your team members ever leaving and trying to take business with them. So if they leave and their intent is to take their business with them, First, I would try to figure out how can I prevent this person from leaving? How can I make them happier here? Maybe it's compensation, maybe it's flexibility. It could be a number of things. Um, at the end of the day, there's not a whole lot you can do. Uh, you may have you know, the non-compete, non-solicit clauses in there. Do you wanna fight that legal battle? I don't know. Um, what are your here's thoughts a few on things. Door? Here's a few things that I've seen that are effective. Uh, it doesn't mean they work 100% of the time. One is to have multiple relationships within your brokers, customers, um, just so that like somebody, maybe a manager within your team is also in contact with that point of contact or someone else at that shipper so that it's not just a sole point of contact. Yes, that broker manages 99% of the communication, but when you have somebody else there that is familiar, 
that can help with this. When you have teams supporting that broker that are familiar with that company's operations, now you can make a little bit more of a viable case if that broker just leaves with giving you no notice. At least you've got an open line that you've had with your manager and that customer. Your team knows their SOP. Those are their biggest concerns. Hey, you know, this broker's the guy I've been talking to. How do I know that anybody over there understands the nuances of my procedures as a shipper, right? Yep. If you can answer both those questions without having to cold call them, meaning your manager already has at least a quarterly review with that customer. And then you can basically reassure them that that team is still intact. And if they are still willing to do some business with you, you can still support it. You can make a viable case to keep some of it, if not all of it. And again, that's a case by case situation. I've got two additional thoughts on this. Um, Your accounting team likely has a relationship with their payables team. So you've already Mm -hmm. got some connection there. The other piece is um, if that customer, if if this broker quits, and they're not going to another company. They're just they're just leaving the industry. And you're just trying to say, and maybe the mindset is not how do I retain the business instead of having it get stolen from me, but how do I keep serving this customer now that they're not being served anymore? If that's the reality and the truth of the situation, put your big boy shoes on and make the phone call. If you if you don't have a relationship with them yet, you can reach out and be honest. Like, hey, I know you know we've we've been working with you for quite some time now, and um, I want to let you know that so and so has decided to leave the company. They're not going to broker anymore, and we'd be happy to you know work with you in the future and get you um, set up with another one of our representatives that can assist you. Right? You can have that conversation. Um, but again, that is more so if um, that person's not going somewhere else and. This is a very, this topic can be very in depth if you want to get into it, but I always go by the mindset of if they are going to their company, um, if it was a customer that they got on their own, that's their customer. That's my mentality. If it was a customer that you gave them, that's a different story because then they're kind of stealing it or poaching it from you. But that's where ethics comes into play. So that's, yeah. that's and, my take. And what agreements you may or may not have in place and yeah. your willingness to enforce or not also has a big deal. But I think, right. I mean, some good common practices to take away. You got some large companies that are your customers and you're pretty heavy and you're not very diverse within your brokerage and you only have a handful of brokers, do quarterly reviews with your customers. That way, at the very least, you have a line, you've been talking with them, they do know you, and should this ever occur, and to be honest, it's going to at some point, if you own a brokerage, this is gonna happen. So it's one good way to get ahead of that, and at least not to be able to, you know, caught with no options the day after somebody leaves and didn't give you any notice. Next question is about, about sending 1099s out annually to to each um, transportation provider. So there's actually, um, there's an IRS, exemption for our industry um, surrounding 1099s. I'm, I'm not an IRS expert, I'm not a tax expert. Um, I have never been the person that ever has issued out 1099s in any organization, whether it was to an agent or to a vendor or whatever the case might be. But there is not there is a uh, clause, um, I don't know how old it is. Are you familiar with this, how the transportation sector is I'm exempt? I'm not, no, and I feel like I should, but when I saw that question come up, I'm like, I genuinely don't know. I know that we get each other's W-9s for that purpose, and somewhere there's probably reporting, but I don't know how the 1099s actually get distributed or how yeah, that plays out. I think out. the question specifically asked, they, they asked it in a way was like, or should it be written off as a business expense or something like that? It is definitely yeah. an expense on your on your accounting side yes. of the business. Again, I'm not an accounting expert. I'm not a tax expert. Um, and you should always, whenever expense. it comes to sending out your, your year-end statements, you should be double checking with your um, accounting professional and whoever you're 
uh, CFO or wh- whatever, right? That person is because these laws change all the time too, right? Every time there's a new administration or a new um, Congress, right? Th- things, requirements and laws can change. Um, but yeah, there is an exemption in our industry. But again, that's it, it's only for certain things. So like if you have if you have independent agents, right? You are issuing them 1099s because they're subcontracted yes. um, sales reps essentially for you. Um, so yeah, that's that's about as far as I can answer that question. If you Google it, you'll you'll get the full legal explanation on it. It's over my head. What well, makes sense? I mean, to be honest, the amount of paper and the amount of 1099s that would be moving around the country like would just be absurd. And I think probably even the burden on the IRS to review them for like every single transaction, you might have a I mean, you could have a car- I mean, you could literally use thousands of different carriers in a year even if you're a small brokerage. Like the amount that would cost you to create those 1099s and the burden it would put on your tax professional would just be Hey, that would add a barrier to entry for new brokers that you'd have to buy all kinds of expensive accounting software, right? Yeah, just pay a huge accounting bill. (laughs) Well, no, and honestly, like, you know, the reason I I thought of that was when we set up the fund, I talked to our accountant. I said, you know, how can we do this? How do we set this up? And he goes, listen, Ben, if you want to start a nonprofit, like, we need a large retainer. And I went, like, walk me through it. We were, like, playing out, you know, like, what, what the goal was, the objective. And he's like, listen, like, the amount of 1099s you need to have prepared for a nonprofit, because every donation requires a 1099. And he's like, he's like, I don't even take them on. He was like, you know, I can help you out with it. He was like, but literally as an accounting firm, like, we don't even deal with them because, like, just the workload is so huge for every single one of them. And that's just well, If you just like do a, a standard one. donation, there is there like a, isn't there like a, tax deductible thing you get, like a receipt you get that you can show if you ever got audited or something like that. I feel like whenever I've yeah. donated clothes to like the Red Cross yes. or whatever it is, or Salvation Army, some- they always give you like a And that's what he said. And he's like, technically, if you start getting into corporate donations, that's where you want to be able to have the proper IRS documentation and that for the donations and whatnot. But like, it's just a lot of paperwork. And I mean, you look at how many transactions our industry does, I gotta imagine that's why the exemption there. So when you're when you're starting a business and you're running a, a business and growing it, um, you're wearing all the hats at first, but as you grow it, you need to create, you can call it like your little, you know, your little board of directors, right? And it doesn't have to, they're not employed by you necessarily, but you should have, you should have a good insurance person. You should have a good, uh, a ter- legal or attorney focused person. You should have a good tax person, tax slash finance person, right? It's gonna save you all the trouble that you could potentially run into because you might be great at moving freight and being a freight broker, but it's that's very different from running a business. So get the right people in your corner to, uh, to make sure you're making the right choices. That's our takeaway. We always say we're yeah. not tax experts, we're not lawyers. Um, what else? We're not medical doctors. I don't think we've ever had questions on medical stuff though, but uh, who knows? Uh, last one, I'll let you, I'll let you. Uh, let's get, let's do, it. you wanna get into this in this episode? You wanna get into this in the next one? Wanna go through it? Yeah. We got another 10 minutes or so, we can, we can talk through it. So what this was, was a colleague of ours um, got caught up in a double brokering situation that wasn't even intended. Um, Roughly, I don't know, I think it was like 15 to 20 invoices per se that um, they were under the impression went to a directly to a carrier. Um, Those invoices were handed from a carrier to a brokerage and then brokered to an asset company. More, you're talking about more like the load tender, not the invoice. 
Yeah, the load tender, sorry. Yep. So the load was tendered, right, from you know our colleagues' brokerage. It was, it was tendered directly to an asset company. Everything in my carrier packets and everything looked fine. Risk assessment looked good. And they ran multiple loads, upwards of like, oh, I don't know, like 15, we'll say, right? And the loads were being delivered. So from the shipper's point of view, okay, our loads are going, there's not an issue. From the brokerage's point of view, their, the factoring company was, you know, paying who was on an address and everything that matched up, right? What we couldn't see and what they couldn't see behind it was the fact that like that asset company handed the tender to another company, which was a brokerage. That brokerage booked a truck on it, right? So what happened was these carriers, you know, the carrier that kept running the loads, right? was like, like, where's our money? Because that brokerage just didn't pay the bills. They just kept all the money. And you know, it took some time. It took like four or five weeks before the asset company actually running the loads worked their way back through, asked the shipper like why they hadn't been paid, worked their way through and found out that the brokerage that was tendering them the loads wasn't the one that the shipper sent the loads to in the first place. And when they found out who it was, that was how they found out and it was fraud. In fact, the person will, I'm sure at some point in time, do jail time for it. But I mean, like this is a really good example of why people should be concerned or in some ways cautious of who they're tendering loads to and how double brokering can bite you in the ass. Yeah. Think about the, we talked about the dispatching checklist a couple episodes ago. And so we've seen this in the past with um, drivers taking advances, right? You could have a fraudulent it, it could be a truck that says they're going to go pick up the load and then they give you a fake um, BOL or whatever saying that they've picked it up. You give the advance and then they, not, they don't have a truck there. And that was they, the most prevalent one, right? Back yeah. in the day, comm checks. They would just say oh, they're yeah. loaded, call you, and you'd get 40% of your fuel money. And meanwhile, like they didn't even send a truck, didn't do anything, just collected the comm check cash. Yep. So the the point of the dispatching checklist is not just to make sure your shipment is, is is delivered smoothly it's also to protect yourself from potential fraud and we tend to find this stuff more prevalent around the holidays and the busy seasons because people are a little bit um they're a little more busy and they're paying less attention to the finite details but having a good checklist and a repetition of things to go through is can save you some time so for example getting that tractor and trailer number and providing that with the MC number on the side of the truck to your shipper, right? So they know who to expect there. But again, you can't control if that shipper is gonna actually verify that stuff because they're probably busy loading a bunch of trucks. The, the best you can do is get the most information that you can efficiently get and provide that down the chain to your to your shipper at the pickup and make sure that if you have any inkling that something's off, hey, can you just double check that this is so and so? I wanted to make sure that you know the the right drivers on this. We you know had a, a couple of um, a couple of red flags pop up. At the end of the day, you know the the amount of time you spend to prevent this stuff can get to a point where it's not worth it. Like you could physically go be on site at the pickup and make sure that that truck is the right truck, but then you lose two days because you're traveling there and back and you're not you know, doing your job. Sure, you could literally put yourself there, but it's, it's not worth it. It's not worth the time. Um, 
you're gonna get burned, right? We all do, it, whether it's a claim or double brokering or um, a driver saying they broke down when they're actually, you know, they got delayed delivering their last load. Like this stuff is, it's going to happen. Um, these are learning experiences and these are, these are notes you should be listing into your TMS to prevent somebody else from potentially running into the same issue. So I think there's three also, there's three big ones that can help you prevent this. One, use multiple sources to vet your carriers. Um, you know, if you're using my carrier packets, maybe also use carrier 411. Um, use more than one if you can afford it, as the first thing I would say. The second thing is, is in your dispatch checklist, and you pointed this out when we were talking about this before the show is, even just telling the dispatcher, hey, I need the truck and trailer number because my shipper always verifies these. Whether or not they do or not, saying that alone and delivering it with confidence will likely deter somebody from trying to do this. Yep. If you're flat out saying, hey, look, my shipper verifies all of them. I need to make sure, hold on, I just need to make sure this truck and tractor number are correct. Like even after they give it to you, slow down and go, hey, and I just wanna verify, what's the MC on the side of that truck? I even used to ask sometimes like, hey, what's the color of that truck and what's the MC? Because I usually just send that over and real quickly they're able to notice. Is Is it a green truck? Is it a white truck? Who are we sending in? And if they don't know or they hesitate and and they are supposed to be an asset company, there's your first red flag. Yep. The second point that you made out is, if you email this to your shipper, at the very least, if something does come down the line, you have now at least, I don't wanna say absolved yourself of the liability, but you've kind of put the onus on the shipper and went, look, like I've emailed you the MC, the tractor and trailer number for every load. Is anybody on your dock verifying this? Because I don't know, in that other case, like 15 loads were apparently picked up by somebody that weren't supposed to pick them up, right? that alone will help you minimize this. To your point, you'll never eliminate them 100%. But if you can find little ways to add or improve your processes that minimize your risk to these things, that's really all you're gonna be able to do at the most. Yep. Um, Check call on the driver too, although I know you brought this up that if they're that good and they're that smart at this fraud, they're gonna give you a burner phone number to pretend they're the driver, right? Yep. but you know, I guess you know when, when you make it clear before the load is tendered out to that carrier that hey, my shipper is going to verify this stuff. Um, it's that's a good deterrence right there. So, yep. And it's on stuff. your delivery, like everything else you do. Like after they read it to you, just pause and go. Wait a minute, hold on. I just want to verify this with you because I've had some issues. My shipper always checks these, and if it's not the right one, I get a bunch of phone calls and emails. Are we sure this is the right drivers? tractor and trailer number, the right MC on the side of the truck, just pausing and asking that twice will likely prevent them from doing it. And to be honest, you'll probably get a call back an hour later. Sorry, that truck can't make it. He fell out. Nope. Okay. I'm going to note <laughs> that right in my home. TMS. Yeah. 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 He broke down. So yep. um, I checked out carrier lists yesterday with uh, Kevin Hill from Freight Waves. We're going to have to get him back on again soon. He's a, he's a great guy to, to talk with. A lot of knowledge. Um, that that tool is pretty cool if you're um, for the vetting side it actually runs uh, it'll search the carriers address and it'll tell you if there's other companies whether it's a brokerage or an asset based company that have a matching address or an address super close so like he showed me an example of one where he put the MC in found like two matching old carrier MCs that were at that same residential house address and also an active brokerage. So 
Huge red flags, right? Well, and why is that? I mean, for the audience out there, why is that a red flag? It's a red flag because most of the fraudulent carriers, like as soon as they get caught and somebody files on their bond, they immediately just file for whatever chapter seven, eleven, and then they just open up another brokerage yep. out of their address. They get a new MC. Yep. yep. And the, the obviously the having the uh, the brokerage authority, um, that's a potential. You know, that's a red flag for double brokering. So. Yep. Good stuff. Well, that's a good episode, man. We packed it full. We talked um, mm. Bill's acquisitions. We talked your the fundraiser. We talked news with the Teamsters, the optimal way to prospect, a bunch of good questions. Man, good stuff. It was a packed full episode. It's good discussion. Yes. All right. Until uh, until the next episode, we got. You have any final? You got a final proverb or closing thoughts here, Ben? Whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. And until next time, go Bills. That wraps up this episode of Freight 360. Check out the show notes for links to anything that we've referenced on this episode. And make sure to visit us online at Freight360.net to see our entire library of episodes, videos, blogs, and more. And make sure to check us out on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel for daily and weekly tips and content. If you'd like your question answered on the show, fill out the Contact Us form on our site and we'll see you next week.